if prices have doubled in two years, like that is way more solid than the stock market. Now, people that say they would rather be a landlord than invest in the stock market. Landlording isn't easy. So the question is this, how do most agents find the secrets to succeed in today's competitive real estate market, especially when the top agents are keeping those secrets to themselves? That's the question, and this podcast will give you the answer. Hi, I'm Aaron Amuchastegui, and welcome to Real Estate Rockstars. Hey, Rockstars, this is Kelly Skevel, and I am guest today on the Real Estate Rockstars show with Aaron Amuchastegui. Ellie, thank you for doing the intro. I love, I put you on the spot and I said, hey, you, you got to do the intro to everybody today. Real Estate Rockstar listeners, you will recognize Kelly's voice. We interviewed Kelly a couple times on the show. She's done a few of these state of the markets with me and her and I, whenever we turn on the mics, we could just chat for like two hours. And so we figured, well, we might as well start continue to recording it as we get to talk about the news because we're living in totally different parts of the world and things like that. So definitely different opinions of the news, different times, right? Yeah. So you're up in Ohio, right? New York. New, New York. Why did I get that wrong? So you're <laughs> up in New York, but you're north. You're north of New York City. What What is the What's life like out there right now? Yeah, they're just starting to let us open up. Like in in terms of the pandemic, where um, schools are because so many people are getting vaccinated. We're getting. I think I can't remember how much, how what the capacity is in restaurants, but we're really seeing some a little bit more normalcy back in life in terms of like, I guess still pandemic slash post pandemic. And then real estate is insane, as I'm sure it is everywhere in the country. It's been very busy, yeah. very stressful. <laughs> the, and you even when we first got on, you said you actually just got one in escrow that you're you either just bought one yourself or you're about to or you're in escrow to buy the how are you finding deals for yourself right now? Yeah, so this one we are we just closed on it last Friday. And this one my husband found it was off market. It was a couple that was splitting. And so we were able we we got it for a little bit under market value. And yeah, it was a good it's it's a it's a good we're looking forward to it. It's a good, good buy for us good add to our portfolio. Yeah. Very cool stuff. So what my first article, I think it kind of relates to kind of you living in it's it's funny because New York, where you're in in New York, it's like a whole different world than like New York City. But this yes. article that came out on MSN says Skyline Tower sales on fire, signaling real estate comeback in Queens. So this would be the first headline I've seen since March last year that said real estate is strong, like in the city. It says Long Island City real estate market is showing signs of life. After the COVID-19 pandemic froze the nation's fastest growing neighborhood a year ago at the Skyline Tower at Three Court. Monthly sales more than doubled in March with 20 units going into contract. This month was on fire and the team was killing it. So the tallest condominium building by 67 stories with 800 units. Total value of the project is the first billion dollar development. We're 44% sold and will be 50% by the end of the spring. We've got 25 to 30 units occupied already. So this thing, Skyline Tower, giant billion dollar building, and they're saying, hey, you know, now it's starting to boom. Sales are starting to boom. Price is starting at $500,000 to 4 million bucks over there. So have you, have you seen anything else that talked about like the real estate coming back in the cities at all? 
I don't know that I've actually seen any article saying that, but I, I can't even count the number of people that I've talked to that predicted that. I don't know if you were, were you one of them that predicted that the cities, that we would see them come back, that people, even though it seemed like they were fleeing the cities, that they would be coming back shortly after we got a handle on everything. Yeah, there were a couple of guys that we interviewed that kind of lived in downtown New York, and they were just very bullish. They said, hey, this is going to come back and buy right now and, and be strong. And uh, it looks like now maybe we're getting the first signs of that. It says not only is the market coming back, but New York City is coming back. So let's hope. Let's hope that the world continues to open up because New York City is kind of, uh, there's, no, there's no way to social distance and function in New York. So the, that'll be one of the signs that life is, life is back. I know my kids cannot wait to get to go to a Broadway show up there. We had, we had scheduled to go to Beetlejuice in May of last year, and that got canceled. And my, my kids were all so sad. Oh, was this going to be their first one or this it was, is the one they it, were looking for? It was going to be their first one in New York. Aww. Yeah. yeah. And you know, even my little son sings all the Beetlejuice songs. They, <laughs> He's a riot. I, I get a kick out of him on your Instagram. He, he is a riot. He might, I'm sure he'll join us in a little bit if I, we'll, we'll, we'll see. So what'd you bring for articles? Today? What's, what's one of your first ones? Oh, what do I want to do first? So this one, it's, let's see who put this out. I think this was the one on CNBC. This is not the time for amateurs, says real estate agent in a fiercely competitive housing market. So I, th- I thought this one was interesting. I had a couple different takeaways than, I guess, what was in the some of the meat of the article. But it talks about how list- how agents are desperate to find listings. And then the, the agent that, they're, that they interview says that he's never seen the market so lean. And he, this guy is located in Boston. It's not just Boston. Nationally, there are about half as many homes listed for sale right now. Um, and by the numbers, there are now about twice as many working real estate agents as there are listings. Yeah. That, so they, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. I just say the stats are so funny as it talks about there's all, you know, having more real estate agents than listings. I think a lot of people have always been licensed, but having actually like active, like hardworking real estate agents have more people out there actually like hitting, you know, hitting the, the pavement, trying to get the job done than they have listings is tough. Yeah. Especially when you're a listing agent, right? And, and there's not, there's just people not wanting to sell their houses. It goes on to say that uh, in March, there were 20% fewer homes listed this March than last March. And obviously, not only are home prices incredibly hot, up over 11% year over year, according to the S&P Case-Shiller Home Price Index. So they go on to list a couple more stats. N- nationwide, nearly 61% of homes home offers written by Redfin agents faced bidding wars in February, up 59% in January. Uh, I can attest to that. We weren't we weren't previously a market that saw, we would see bidding wars and multiple offers here and there, but not often and only in like really small, like really desirable neighborhoods. Now we're seeing them way out in the outskirts, like in the middle of nowhere. So it goes on to say that this bull that they interviewed, we're pulling out all the stops in terms of mailers, in terms of getting social media, networking, doing everything we can, working our channels and working our connections to get listings. So that's interesting. I don't think I've seen an article talk about how difficult it's been for agents to get listings and find houses for sale. Yeah, it is hard work right now. Like, and some are trying to get, you know, there's like a commission battle going on where now people are starting to say like, do I, do I need to pay my commission or not? You know, there's, can they start decreasing commissions because it's making it so easy if you're getting multiple offers? It's a whole different, you know, conversation that we saw some articles with, but yeah, he's saying, it's the, the, the headline does say it. This is not the time for amateurs. So it is, 
there are some agents that are crushing it right now, but the but it is hard. It is hard work. All the agents out there, all of you listeners are working way harder than you were before on 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 so many of the different things. So when he's talking about pulling out all the stops, they're just trying everything. So now they're sending mailers, now they're tapping their network. You yeah. Know, he said you know, one of these said there's no magic bullet for me. I say, hey, this house in your neighborhood sold with eleven offers on it and or and this much over asking. Do you want to try to sell your house too? So it's really just saying if you had one thing in your tool belt, right? Um, you know, as an agent, if you had one skill, one way to get new leads, one way to get new new customers, then it's tough. So, he's, so it's it's really saying if you're trying to if you're trying to actually get deals done, you can't just have one way to get clients right now. You have to have ten ways, and if you tap all ten, then maybe you're going to get a client. So you can work ten times as hard to get you know the same amount of volume. So really, yeah, yeah. thinking outside the box. You know, yeah, there's a lot. Yeah, what a what a it, what a tough time to be an agent. So, my next article says new forbearance requests drop to lowest level since March 2020. You know, from my Instagram, I talk about like foreclosures and defaults and stuff all the time. It's just something that I'm trying to track if it's going up or down, and we're getting better news or worse. And so, this one was from Inman, and it came out just a couple of days. It says new forbearance requests drop to lowest level since March 2020. Total weekly forbearance requests as a percent of servicing volume decreased. You know, it says from 0.05 to 0.04. So it's getting a little bit better. More than 21% of borrowers in forbearance extensions have now exceeded the 12-month mark. Of those that exited forbearance in March, more than 21% received a modification. So that's crazy. 21% of the people that exited forbearance received a modification on their loans. They missed like 12 months of payments and then they were able to to do something. But it also said, indicating that their income had declined and they could not afford their original mortgage payment anymore. So that means some banks out there are actually saying, hey, let's lower your payment or let's lower your interest rate. March was a turning point for the economy with hiring shifting into higher gear and hiring has been on the rise you know, for, for months out there. So the share of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac loans and forbearance decreased to 2.72%. So are you, are you surprised that the lenders are doing are renegotiating. I, I kind of didn't think that they were go- that the, at the end of the day. I'd heard a lot of stuff about payments would be tacked on to the end, but I didn't really expect them to lower payments for borrowers, especially borrowers that had so much equity in their houses. Is that surprising at all? Yeah, I agree with you. I it, I guess it didn't occur to me that that's what they would do. I thought that <laughs> I thought exactly what they were doing in the beginning, which was oh okay, well if you're going to defer a payment, we're just going to tack it on at the end, or there was some kind of repayment agreement, but. I guess after being in this for as long, you know, well over 12 months now, they're realizing that they need to do a little bit more. Yeah. Well, I guess I wonder what the other percentages are too. So if 20% of the people leaving forbearance got a modification, I'm sure there's also 20 or 40% of people leaving forbearance that have, that are going to get moved into the foreclosure process of just realizing there is no workout. It could be some people sold their houses yeah, um, or some people got their jobs back. Like the best <laughs> case is jobs back. Do you think it's location dependent too? Like certain areas of the country where maybe the banks are being a little bit more willing to work with people or? That would be a really interesting statistic to find out. If I was a banker, yes. I Like I know right now lenders are, depending on what the person's job is, if they have a job in, you know, in hotels, if they have a job as, as waitresses and things like that, they're calling and they're asking, you know, business owners, like what are the chances this person's going to be employed next month? Mm-hmm. What are the chances you're going to lay this person off? What are the chances you're going to give them a raise? They're at, they're going to so much detail of job type that I have to imagine banks are also saying, oh, the 
even though the market's strong in a lot of places, we don't want that many loans in this area or in this place or you know in cities where stuff is is changing around a little bit. And I guess with rates being so much lower today, I mean rates have started to go up, but I bet a lot of rates you know, in the last three to four months were still much lower than they were for the people. So maybe mm-hmm. they could maybe they could almost refi them that way and say, hey, mm-hmm. let's let's lock you into a new rate. You were paying five percent before. We might as well, even though you wouldn't qualify for a refi because you haven't made payments in a while, maybe we lock you in at, at, at four instead. So that, that could be the example of a forbearance that still you know, gets people paying, gets them some sort of a, of a carrot, but still doesn't bring their rate down to a, a full you know, reapplication. We'll see as that, as that continues to change. What did you see? So you, you sent me an article about the city of Oakland. So, yeah. so tell, us, tell us about that one. This one actually is, I think, from early March. So it says, California City of Oakland, latest to force diversity by inserting multiple units into single-family home neighborhoods. So there, there's a couple of pieces to it, but Oakland's Vice Mayor Rebecca Kaplan introduced a resolution last week to direct the city's administration and planning department to study how it can place fourplexes in otherwise single-family home neighborhoods. This will allow more units of housing to be built in certain areas and will prioritize areas near resources and BART stations that support access to jobs and transit-oriented development as well. It's interesting. So these single-family neighborhoods, they, they want to just plop these fourplexes in and kind of like rezone these single-family neighborhoods. Yeah. What it, so California, they were, I know a few months ago, they said like PUDs, they were adding like a granny unit and they're fast tracking granny unit. So you can convert your garage into an apartment now where that was never okay before, like oh. in, the, in the city of Santa Barbara, or if you want to add like a PUD in your, in your backyard, you know, they'll fast track it through permits and stuff like that. And I think that started, that started to face a lot of kind of questions, lots of pros and cons, but their first fight was like, let's add a unit. Cha- adding a fourplex in a residential neighborhood. And I've seen, I've seen lots of cities that are pretty diverse but I don't know if I would be, but I don't know if I'd be excited if I had, if I was, you know, depending on the neighborhood, it seems like making a broad thing like that could actually hurt home values. Yeah, so. that was, it was interesting. Cause I was kind of, I was thinking the same thing, like, will this affect the home values of the, uh, the people that live there, the single family homes that are there now, but also it allows for more development and, you know, more opportunity for, for different businesses and contractors. So, so I like that side too. Right. But yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah, I still think they just need to convert a lot of hotels into housing because the because ho- so many hotels are struggling and, and a lot of them haven't pictured yet when they're going to be coming back. But yeah, it's poised to transform its single-family home neighborhoods into diverse communities. And that's what I was saying. It would be it would seem very diverse to see house you know house with the yard, house with the yard, house with the yard, fourplex. I, <laughs> even even just having ones where when families. If, if half the people on the block have people now living in their garages because their garages were converted to apartments, yeah, that, that changes part. Like parking in Oakland is like parking is a thing, right? And if all of a sudden you don't have a garage to park in and you're adding a family, that makes parking. A yeah, crazy. I didn't Change, even think about that. Moving the fourplex next door because you, because I, I think a lot of times in the fourplex you're maybe two cars per unit. So now one lot instead of having two cars has eight cars attached to it. Yeah, really interesting. And I can imagine that these single family lots that are available are large enough to put a small parking area on. I mean, do they have, how is, I, I've never been to Oakland. Like the, 
do they have driveways that normally have driveways? Does everybody park on the street? What is that? The older houses have, there, there are places where there's driveways and garages and others where they don't, but they used to be very strict about any new development needed a garage and a driveway. Mm-hmm. So they required anything new to have off street parking. Okay. But that has now started to change through you know, the city of Santa Barbara, you know, different part of California, but they're no longer requiring the same amount of parking they did before, you know, so they, they could get that. And so, yeah, they used to require a garage. They used to require, uh, you know, driveways and any, and any of the new stuff because so much parking does happen on the street. And uh, again, it depends on the neighborhood. O- Oakland is a big place, but the places where I think they're going to be inserting these into, I think it's going to hurt the, because I don't think you could put a fourplex on a single family lot without having the parking be on the street. In the street. I don't, Interesting. I don't, I don't think there's room to put parking on site. So yeah. We'll yeah. That's a, that's going to cause a whole issue in itself. Interesting. Yep. Changing all sorts of zoning laws. Even I mean, I'm, I'm baffled by the fast track of adding a granny unit in the backyard or adding, adding a granny unit in the garage. So we'll see. Real Estate Rockstars, this is a commercial break from our biggest podcast sponsor we have right now, Rent Ready. It can be fun getting a new real estate deal, but it can be tough managing your properties after the fact, especially if you're long distance investing or trying to manage multiple properties by yourself. That's why we're here to tell you about Rent Ready. Rent Ready is a property management software that not only makes it easier to manage all your real estate deals from one platform, but they also have the best customer service support in the biz. They're an all-in-one app that lets you easily manage properties, collect rent, list units, screen tenants, sign leases, all from your phone or computer. Imagine all of your real estate doors right in your pocket. How awesome is that? The best part is it's so affordable, one flat price for everything. Unlimited properties, tenants, and support with a real live human. And I have to add in there, that's a new business model that not a lot of people are doing. There's like this freemium model where people say, hey, you can try this, but as soon as you grow, it's going to cost you a lot of money. Or they kind of punish you when you get too many emails on your list or too many comments. They aren't going to punish you when you grow. They're not going to charge you more when you get 10, 20, 30 rentals. They're going to charge you the same when you have two or three as they will when you have 50 or 60. So you have a nice fixed cost, all software, all in one place. Check it out. Rent Ready. R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I.com. And if that's not enough, Rent Ready is giving our listeners a special code you can use to get a whole year of Rent Ready for just $54. Use code R-O-C-K-S-T-A-R-50. That's Rockstar50. And sign up for Rent Ready's annual plan at rentready.com. Again, R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I.com with code Rockstar50 to get Rent Ready for only $54. Big news in Texas, I posted two days ago, says Texas Supreme Court makes eviction filings easier. So if you if you Google Texas Supreme Court CDC, you're going to see so many different versions of this depending on who the reporter is. So one, one, one group says Texas court opens eviction floodgates. We've now stepped off a cliff, like big and bad. Another one says some evictions may proceed in Texas under CDC moratorium. Texas judges no longer authorized to enforce the CDC eviction moratorium. So something that happened was, uh, so they took it to the Texas Supreme Court. People could, what was happening a lot nationwide, people stopped making their payments. They filled out a form that was a CDC eviction form that said, I, my job was affected by COVID. I will make partial payments. And if you evict me, I'll be homeless and it'll increase my chances of COVID. There's like three things on that list. 
might be one or two more, but those three are on there because we've received a lot of them as a landlord. Um, but there was actually no way to actually, so if we said, hey, they're li- like this person we know is lying because they have a separate house. We actually had a resident that owned a house and, you know, and was also renting ours, but not paying. And we were like, no, we can prove that he actually owns a house. Like his statement that he said, I'd be homeless. It's like untrue. Yeah. Um, and, but, but the court wouldn't need, we didn't even have a court in some counties, the courts would close completely other counties. We could actually go make that case. And so the, it says the Texas Supreme court makes eviction filings easier. It says uh, CDC eviction moratorium has been extended to the end of June, but the Texas Supreme court is not renewing these protocols for Texas justice to the peace course. I think it's going to be a big relief to landlords because right up until now, they felt like they couldn't do anything. It says eviction proceedings will, will be resolved by landlords and tenants. It said it will still apply in a few scenarios. But in theory, if someone went to their landlord and said, here's the declaration, the landlord could decide on their own if they want to post the eviction or not. So now they'll actually hear the case because before they said if they signed the CDC form, they just took it as truth. Now they'll actually yeah. you know, make them kind of prove it. Which is also the other side of that, what these articles aren't saying is in Texas right now, for the people that have applied for rent relief, they are dishing it out like crazy. So the so we have had residents, so we've gone to all of our residents that have given us the form and we said, here's the paperwork that you go to. It'll take you 10 minutes, go fill this up. And half of them did it and half of them didn't. The ones that did it, they paid all their back rent and their future rent until May. So some people covered a year, wow. a year of rent payments. And so Cool. So we won't. So we don't need to evict them because they took the ten minutes to fill out the form. But we right. have the the other half of our people in default. They are refusing to fill out the form. They just don't wow. want to. They're not going to take the ten minutes. And because before we could not evict them because of the CDC eviction moratorium, they didn't want to take the ten minutes. They're kind of like I don't have to. I wonder now if they will. Yeah. But now that it's turned back on. So the, my my the big thing I was saying for a while is you don't need both. You don't need an eviction moratorium and rental help. Mm-hmm. If you're going to give people rental help then you should be able to evict people if they refuse to essentially sign for the free money Mm -hmm. um, or not. So I think Texas is the first place that has now said, hey, this new nationwide law uh, that says that you cannot evict people, uh, we're not going to make that the law in Texas. And I wonder what might happen later with foreclosures, because that's fine. That's this is the first state saying we, we just aren't going to do this national thing anymore. And it upheld the Texas Supreme Court. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. We, um, here in New York, I was actually just on the phone with our real estate attorney a couple of days ago, and you have to present the hardship. If you even tell people that they have owe back rent, you have to present the hard, this hardship form. Mm-hmm. And there was like, anytime you talk to them, you're supposed to present it, even if we can get it to go get to court in our area, which is super difficult. They still have the chance to fill out the form. And once they fill out the form, everything pretty much gets washed away. And like you were saying, like, we can't even, we can't eat. The last thing that she had said was we weren't, we're, we're almost not allowed to even try to prove that, that, that that's not true, that the hardship isn't true. Yeah. Um, so, so like you're saying, they could completely, they could make something up some bogus lie and still like, we, we have to take it as fa- at face value on the form on this like really short one page form. It's interesting. Yeah. And it's and every every city has been different. Every county has been different. We had some counties in Texas that would still hear the cases, and they would say, "All right, this is the authority." And in others, where there was just no, they could close the courts completely. There's like, no, we just because of this, we've had enough of them. We're just not even going to open courts for a few months. So we will, you know. And you know, Florida opened a lot of their services pretty quick. You know, there's uh, Idaho. You know, Texas is now opening a lot more of their services. So, so some of these states will kind of show. 
they will pave the way to see what's next. And I, and I, and I, there's no note in this if the, you know, the Fed, the, the federal government essentially, essentially could, I guess, try to sue Texas or, to, or take it uh, to a different level uh, on a dispute. So we'll see what happens next. But as of this week, we actually had the judges r- reach out to us and say, now, now is the time. Uh, you can resubmit those applications and we can process them through the system. And again, wow. it, for anyone that so I'm sure somebody will message me and tell me I'm a horrible person, but really right now it is any one of our residents that just signs the form, the government's going to pay their rent through May and they don't have through the end of May and they won't have to worry about anything anymore. Like a, there's an absolute fresh start available to all, all of the, the residents in Texas if they legitimately have had a change due to COVID. Right. If they, and so anyway, we will, we will see, I promise all of you guys, I'm not a heartless person, but I do, but I do think that part of the, for the way the system is supposed to work, evictions and foreclosures are part of the, the real estate system. If you can't evict and you can't foreclose on people, then we're not going to see lenders or landlords wanting new people to come in. The, I like this last article that you sent over. So market watch America's think it's better to invest in housing than the stock market. Did you look in, in that article much? Yeah, I just, it was interesting. Um, it says a study found that over 90% of respondents preferred owning their primary residence rather than investing in the stock market. And yeah. then it goes, even says a majority of survey takers also favored the idea of being a landlord to, pur- to purchasing stocks. What do you think? I fall in that category. Yeah. <laughs> we yeah. invest a little, but uh, you know, the bulk of our money goes back. We reinvest back into real estate. It's just been really good to us. We understand it. Yeah. It's funny, like there's, it's kind of funny timing for this because I think there's probably a lot of fans of the stock market too, because a month or two ago, you would see people making a ton of money on random day trading stuff, right? They go like, oh, GameStop went a gazillion dollars and and all these things. And so there's some days where people are like, this is awesome. So if they would have asked this question, like the second day of the GameStop surge, because like Tesla had gone up there, most of the stocks were just surging. Then I bet a lot of people might have answered it different. But then a few weeks after that, you know, GameStop crashed and part of and, and now it's actually back up again. But it like there was all this intervention that came in that kind of pushed stocks back down and shut down trading. And it was like this realization, like I think a lot of people after that were like, I'm not investing in stocks anymore. Like they're actually seeing it as corrupt. Like stocks used to be, I don't know if safe is this right thing, but the but seeing like the stock market is like this this corrupt thing and housing is still through the roof. So since yeah. March, housing has gone up and up and up. I mentioned on the state of the market last week, I had, there was a open door had made us an offer on a house 18 months ago for like two, you know, 215,000. And then a week or a week or two ago, they sent me a letter and said, Hey, prices have gone up. We'll offer you 405,000 hour. For oh my gosh. An unsolicited offer. It was just like, Hey, so if prices have doubled in two years, like that is way more solid than the stock market. Now, people that say they would rather be a landlord than invest in the stock market, landlording isn't easy. <laughs> um, the, you know, for the for the other side of that, they they probably they should ask people like, "Have you been a landlord yet? And what will you do if someone doesn't pay?" Or does it just sound good? Yeah, yeah. Or if somebody tells you, "Hey, you need to come plunge the toilet because it's not working," you're like, "Come on, really?" Like the calls <laughs> the calls that you get as a landlord, but it is. Uh, the timing of that is great, but I fall into the same category. I think it is better to invest in housing than the stock market. And it had lots of different reasons. So the most common reasons people cite in choosing housing over stocks seem to be about comfort and stability rather than seeking a better return. The most commonly selected responses were that the housing was the desired living environment and provided stability and less volatile. You know, I think I've recently 
been even more excited about this because when I started investing in rentals back in 2015, I picked a city that was the prices hadn't really gone up or down in the last 10 years. And I said, I'm not going to get any appreciation here, but this is nice and stable. As long as my rent is higher than my mortgage on it, this is a great way to invest. And every month I would buy more and more houses there. And I kept saying this, the, the prices in the city will never go up. I'm just going to try to get this nice, safe, stable yeah. win. Well, prices now are worth more than twice what we bought them for in that wow. little market five years ago. Like the, the place that was never supposed to go up, well, everywhere in the world has gone up now. So it's so the cool thing is real estate may be that unique one where if you're, if you're betting on cash flow, if you're betting on here's my rent and here's my mortgage, you know, that you could have these long-term singles that every once in a while, it, you, you know, the market could go down but then people are still paying their rent or the market could go way up and you get this huge home run out of what was supposed to be singles. The exception is when they stopped making people pay rent. If you're a <laughs> landlord that has one or two houses and one of those got an, an eviction moratorium on it, like that is scary, but yeah, that's yeah. really, yeah. The preference for housing dipped in October, 2020 and returned back to pre COVID levels by February, 2021. Yeah. What a, do you invest in the stock market at all? You said? We have like a couple of retirement accounts and, you know, basic things like that. But otherwise, I, I know nothing about this. I have a financial guy. I'm like, here's what I want to contribute every year. I give him that amount and then he does it. It's all towards retirement. Otherwise, I'm like, I, I, it's a, that's actually what I, what got me into real estate in my early 20s was I started reading about compounding interest and investing in stocks. And then it kind of pivoted and went towards the real estate. So I, I don't know. I know like just enough to like nod my head and yeah. <laughs> talk a little bit about it. You're like, I know how to order it. The uh, man, I've, I'm a super fan of Tesla, but the, what I, but so I like buy and sell Tesla periodically, but it, it's really stupid because if I had just never sold from the first time I bought it, then I'd be a wealthy man from that stock. But stocks are boring for me too. I think the, uh, I'm not, I, I'm not good at long-term planning of, put it in and save and don't touch it. Yeah. Kind of get this. Like, it's like, I just want to, I, I just look at it. I want to do something with that. So houses, it's a lot harder for me to make quick decisions. Of, okay, I'm going <laughs> to sell that today, buy that yeah. today. Ha uh, housing is a, a fun bet that I definitely understand a lot more of. My, my last article, you know, I was talking about open door making offers, but this was in an article just a couple days ago, April 2nd says, offer pad sellers can stay in homes up to 60 days after closing now. To help alleviate the stress of selling, OfferPad will give sellers the option of remaining in the home for up to 60 days after closing escrow. It allows sellers more flexibility in relocating to their new home. They previously had a three-day extended stay policy where you could stay three days after they bought it. And now they're saying people could stay for 60 days after. I think that's, uh, and so you could request a free 24-hour cash offer. You could sell your house and then have two months to move. I think that's pretty important because it's tough to find a house. Yeah. If you've got an extra house that you're that you're not living in, it's a great time to sell. But if you need to actually buy right now, it is a tough time to sell because you also have to buy a house to move into. So is sixty days long enough? You think like so you sell your house and oh. all of a sudden like all right, you got you got two months to move in today's market. You think sixty days is? I mean, it's better than no days, but you think it's yeah. enough? I don't know. I mean, I guess it. I don't know. I, it sounds like long enough, right? But like you said, in this market where there's nothing, where people are struggling to find things, and if you find something, it's going super fast, well, you know, well over list price. It, uh, it kind of goes back to incentivizing the sellers. So like in that pre in our previous article, this is a way to incentivize somebody who maybe, like you said, otherwise wouldn't have, wouldn't, wouldn't have sold because they couldn't 
they couldn't move out of their house within 24 hours. They couldn't find another house. Now they have 60 days. So that's interesting. Yeah. You know, like when I got that letter from Open Door, it, it, like I was not considering selling that house. It was just an average rental. And then I got that that email and I was like, oh my God, now I want to sell that house. <laughs> like, like, can I talk that renter into leaving because it's worth, you know, I thought maybe it was worth 300. If they're going to pay me 405, like, let's do it. That's silly. But then you start going. So I could imagine if I lived in the house, you get an unsolicited offer like that and you were never thinking about selling. Now you are because instantly yeah. you're like, holy crap. So that was, so they succeeded. They did a, a blind offer that was an incredible uh, amount higher than I thought it was going to be. And I've also sold them dozens of houses. So I know that most of the time it's not a bait and switch. They, they buy my houses for what they say they're going to, <laughs> to buy them for. So I, so looking at that instantly, you go like, okay, this is awesome. Now, if you're living in a house, a lot of times you get, hey, do you want to sell your house? And people go, no, I don't want to move. But now they say, whoa, here's an offer. It's a super high offer. So now the person living in their house goes, okay, maybe I do want to sell. Yeah. And then they say, and then it says, and you've got two months to go find something else. If you take yeah. our offer, then, then they could start looking. So I think if OfferPad is doing it, then all of you agents should be doing it too. And if Open Door is doing it too. So I mean, I think agents should be looking at their Rolodex, look, looking at the, the past clients going out there and saying, hey, would you want to sell your house for this? You know, do you want to sell your house for this? You're making that offer because the reality is, is I think a lot of people don't realize that they could sell for way more than they had previously, you know, as part of that. So pretty, pretty fun, exciting times, but the, uh, lots of awesome real estate news today, Kelly, so how many, how many investment properties do you guys have? We have 20 units now. And then do you have any active listings or, or buyers that you're, you're chasing around right now? Oh my, Yeah. 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 I, I don't have any active listings. I have, well, I have one big land listing. Other, any listing that hits gets, goes under contract right away. I have a couple waiting to close, but yeah, I've got a, a bunch of buyers. <laughs> yeah. Well, my son did just join me. He just, he? Snuck, he just snuck out here right as we're getting ready to finish. So he threw on his <laughs> Oculus headset. So I was like, I think I hear something. I look over and he's playing a video game <laughs> right over there. So Please, no one judge me. My five, my five-year-old son. Uh, the uh, he loves to come hang out in dad's office and have. Fun he never has a shirt on, right? Does, it, does he have a he, shirt on right now? He does not have a shirt <laughs> on right now. So the if I was gonna, if my camera wasn't this way, I'd be able to show. He's wearing a swimsuit, nothing else, while he while he's cousin here. He said, "I just went swimming." So, the, Kelly, thank you for joining me on today's Real Estate Rockstars podcast. The, it's always fun getting to talk about the news. Yes. You. I can't wait to have you on here again. Thanks, uh, Aaron. I always have fun too. Uh, Real Estate Rockstars. Thanks for listening. All right, Real Estate Rockstars. This is Aaron Muchastegui jumping in again to thank you for listening to the show. Hopefully you guys loved listening to that one. And I want to make sure that you know about all of the extra resources that we have. And also we need your help. They say podcasts are free. You get to listen to podcasts for free. But what is the cost of that podcast? I would say if I could beg you to pay anything for that podcast, I would say the cost of the podcast is going and giving a review. So whether you download it on Google or Apple or YouTube or anywhere else, please go give us a review. Say what you liked, what you didn't like. It helps us get better guests. The more reviews, the higher we get in the rankings. Right now, we are the biggest podcast out there for real estate agents. And we want to keep that spot because we know there's lots of podcasts out there. So go give us a review. Also, be sure to go to hybendigital.com. If you liked any of the resources that those real estate agents talked about, we've got a huge video vault of those resources for free. Every penny that comes on the podcast that we interview, they give us something that helps them get their deals or helps them work with their clients. And we put that 
in the toolbox in our vault for you. So go to hybendigital.com and you can get it. If you're looking for real estate education, go to rebusuniversity.com. We have all sorts of courses in there to help agents succeed in real estate. How to get the listing, how to negotiate deals, you know, how to become an investor, all sorts of different stuff, rebusuniversity.com. And if you want to chat with me, go find me on Instagram. If you come find me on Instagram, you can send me messages. Tell me what you want to hear. Tell me what you liked, what you didn't like. We try to put a bunch of content out there too. You can find me in two different places. It's at rerockstars.com for our Real Estate Rockstars page or at erinamuchastegui.com for my personal Instagram page where I can chat with you about all sorts of different things. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again soon. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.